It's exciting to be here. Um, welcome to Sedaris. I'm so glad you're here. I, this is my first time doing anything like this. I've never preached a sermon um, before or, or done any formal teaching before, uh, a whole congregation before. So um, before I get started, I'd just really appreciate it if, uh, if you'd all pray um, with me and pray for me. Um, dear Lord, um, please bless this time and uh, help the words that I speak to be useful and helpful. Amen. Um, so I, I thought, uh, since it's my first time preaching, I get a bit of a buy. I get to tell um, my story, uh, and, and uh, that's excited. I'm excited to share that here. Um, during this Advent season, we've been doing a topical series, and um, our uh, theme has been God Changes Our Expectations. And uh, I want to tell you about a time when God changed my expectations about what my life was going to look like. Um, and I'm really glad that he did. So growing up, uh, I grew up in uh, near Houston, Texas, in a, a smaller town called Katy. Uh, I had a great family. Um, my parents are both strong Christians, and they raised me to um, know what a life following God was like. And, and that looked really attractive to me growing up. You know, I really wanted that for myself. And thinking about what I wanted God's plan for my life to be, I just wanted it to be the same as his plan for my father. Because, um, you know, it seemed like it worked out really well. Uh, so my, my father was a, a petroleum engineer, um, stayed with the same company basically his whole career, um, and that worked out well. He had time, you know, he, he did well at work, did a good job there, and, and he had um, time to spend with us, his, his family, and to be active in the church, and um, I just wanted to be just like him. Um, so when it came time to start making decisions about what my life would look like, uh, I decided I'd, I'd do the same thing. I'd go to college. Um, I went to Texas A&M, a uh, great college. I loved my time there, and, and I decided to major in petroleum engineering. Um, I also loved programming. I, I had done it a lot in high school, um, and I had considered maybe um, a career in software would be interesting or something I could be good at, but I didn't know very much about that space. Um, it's different. Houston is different, right? Uh, Houston is an oil hub. It's, it's like Seattle's a tech hub, you know, and so people know what tech jobs are like. People have friends who, who work in tech, right? And if you had questions, you could get them answered by somebody that you trust. Uh, but in Houston, that's not the case. And so I had no idea what a, a job in software would look like or, or, or if I would like that or even be able to be good at it. But I knew that I could do petroleum well. So I went to um, college, and, and I got a degree in petroleum engineering. Uh, and as kind of a compromise, I decided to get a minor in computer science because it was so fun, you know. Uh, well, um, you know, I, I got through college. I worked hard, um, got, some, got, you know, good grades, and, and got one job offer. I actually got a job offer at my father's old company. Um, he had retired by then, uh, but it's still the same company. I thought, great, <laughs> perfect. Uh, this worked out well for him, and it'll work out well for me. Um, what I wanted to be was, it's called a reservoir engineer. It's a more technical role um, where you just kind of sit in an office all day and um, look at simulations and graphs. Um, I really like graphs. Uh, but in order to be able to be good at that, you have to understand what you're making graphs of. Um, so you have to spend some time uh, out, they say, in the field, out where the oil wells actually are, 
taking care of them. And, and that role is called production engineering. So the company said, hey, you know, we want to hire you, and we do want you to be a reservoir engineer. You know, we have the same goals as you, but um, just we want you to be a production engineer for a year and a half to two years out in the field, out in a small town, um, so that you can get that practical experience. And then after a year and a half to two years, we'll find a way to move you to Houston, where you want to be, with the role you want. OK, great. Sounds good. Uh, well, while I was in college, uh, my, my final year, right before I graduated, uh, oil went from 80 $85 a barrel uh, to 40 um, I don't know if you remember when gas was cheap, but that's, that's when that was. <laughs> and that was great for everyone, except for you know, the people selling it. Um, so the companies, uh, they had to they had to start to cut costs. You know, they had to figure out how can we stay in business now that we make half as much money. Um, and that meant reducing costs in a lot of places, including um, cutting people. So my first day on the job uh, was a day that they decided to do another round of layoffs. And this was the kind of layoff where people that you actually liked working with, people that you thought did a good job, were told, uh, we can't keep you around. You know, there's not a job for you anymore. And other people were asked to work twice as hard. So no one was happy. Uh, it's a tough time to start at a company. Um, and, and at the same time, they said, you know, uh, these engineers, we're not going to move them around. It's expensive to move people, and we just want people to get good at what they're doing um, so they can just stay there, do a good job. And uh, that was a little tough, because that wasn't my plan. That's not what I wanted to hear. And Floresville, the, the town I moved to, wasn't a good place for me. Um, it was lonely. I, I didn't have any friends there. And it's always tough after you graduate from college to go somewhere else, because you had all these friends and they're gone. Um, but I had a hard time making new friends. And it was also just poorly connected. Um, the internet was pretty unreliable. And even the cell service was not great. Uh, in order to call people on the phone, my best option I found was to take my chair from my kitchen table out onto my porch and um, talk to people outside my front door. So that was tough, but you know, I was like, okay, well, it's only for a time, right? Well, as I stayed there, I realized uh, I was at the back of a long line. There were a lot of other engineers there who had been there longer than I had, and no one was moving. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can solve these problems myself. Uh, so I said, okay, I I'm feeling tired sad, lonely, I really want to get out of here, so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to focus on getting enough sleep. It didn't really work, I just lie awake. Uh, I'll try exercising every day. I got a gym membership and, and I exercised way more than I do now. Um, <laughs> that didn't help very much either. And so I said, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do a really good job. I said, maybe if I get a really good performance review, people realize I'm a special engineer, you know, then maybe they'll, they'll treat me different. Maybe I can use a good performance review um, to get the role I want to move to Houston, where my friends are, where my family is, where I wouldn't feel so alone. So I worked hard for a year, and then I got the performance review, and it said, you're nothing special. We don't see any of the, uh, any of the work that you did as anything other than what an engineer should be doing. Don't expect any special treatment. And that was really disappointing to me because I realized that there, there wasn't anything that I could do. It wasn't in my power to get out of there. And I really felt like I needed to get out of there. It was really, 
really hard for me. Um, I definitely felt like I was depressed during that time. And I started to pray to God, and I, I prayed, I just said, God, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. I, I don't seem to have any options, but please help me. You know, please help me to get out of this, because this is really hard. And, and to make matters worse, during that whole time, you know, it was a period of spiritual dryness. Um, so even my relationship with God, it, it wasn't satisfying, you know, just felt alone. But God had a plan for that. After actually just about a month of praying that, I started praying it around Thanksgiving time and um, just after Christmas, um, after, after praying that again, um, God sent some weather my way, I think. We were at an airport, and we were supposed to be flying anyway. Um, some weather came, and it delayed the flight, and I decided I'm just going to stay at the airport, uh, try and get some rest. Except I didn't try that hard, because I, next thing I knew, I had my computer out, and I was going to do some programming, you know, solve some fun puzzles. Uh, I was a bit of a nerd. But anyway, um, uh, I, was, I was Googling something, you know, sending, doing a search about something related to programming, and something popped up I'd never seen before. It said, um, right at the top of the search result, it, it said, you're speaking our language. Are you up for a challenge? And there was like a yes or a no. Click yes. Uh, and it was a bunch of puzzles. I love puzzles. I love programming puzzles. And I got to solve them. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I kind of thought maybe this is an answer to prayer, but I didn't want to get my hopes up. Well, over the next couple months, I solved um, all, all the puzzles that they had. Uh, and uh, along the way, they had asked for um, an email address. And then uh, they asked for my resume. Uh, I, to be honest, I didn't work that hard on my resume. I figured they're just going to see Petroleum Engineer and they're going to move on. I don't think I'm the kind of person they're looking for. Um, but, you know, I think God gave me favor in that process. And um, they did want an interview. And uh, eventually I got a job offer. And then I had a decision to make. You know, it was still scary. Um, it seemed like an answer to prayer, but I, I still had a lot of the same hesitations about it as I did when I went into college. Could this be a job that I would enjoy? and be good at? Um, would I? And then there were other things too, right? Like Seattle, it's about as far away from Houston as you can get in the continental United States. Um, you can look at a map if you don't believe me. Uh, uh, would I be able to find a good church and community there? Would I miss my family too much? Um, would I be able to find someone who saw things the same way as me that I could marry and start a family with? You know, I, I didn't know whether any of these things would be here. These were all things I wanted, but it seemed like an answer to prayer, so I said, okay, God, I'm going to try this. And I'm really glad I did. Um, after moving here, I've, I found a wonderful church, a wonderful community, and, um, and, and a wonderful wife. And, and now I even have family here. Everything I was worried... Oh, and, and my job is good. Um, <laughs> uh, Everything I was worried about, God knew. He knew what I needed, and, and he had that ready for me. I'm really glad that I was open to God changing my expectations about my career and where I would live, and, and I'm really glad that um, I followed him in, in the time of uncertainty. So that's it about me. Um, let's look at uh, something in the Bible. So I wanted to look at John chapter 6. Um, John chapter 6 is 
uh, a chapter where people realized that they had the wrong idea about Jesus and what he was going to do. Uh, and Jesus tries to change their expectations, and some people are open to that, and some people aren't. So we'll, we'll just take a look at that um, chapter. So we'll be in John chapter 6 pretty much the whole time. Um, it's a very long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't worry. Um, but there's a lot here. We'll just look at it through the lens of God changes our expectations. Uh, if you have one of the Bibles um, here, that underneath some of the chairs, it's on page uh, 946. So the first thing we'll do is just look at what was going on. You know, what was the setting here? Um, so John chapter 6, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. Okay, so that's what's going on. There are a bunch of people. Jesus is really exciting. His ministry was really exciting to a lot of people. Um, no one had seen miracles like what he was performing, you know, not at least in a long time. And, and no one performed as many miracles as Jesus did. Um, so all these people were following him around to see what he would do next. And, uh, and, and what he does next is, is incredible. Um, so this crowd, it's a very large crowd, and um, Jesus said, we're going to feed all these people. And his disciples say, we can't do that. We don't have enough money to do that. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, well, we're going to take, you know, five loaves and, and these two fish um, that this little boy has, and we're going to, you know, break them into pieces, and it will just, it'll feed everyone. And that was amazing. There was more left over uh, than what they started with. Um, just as a side note, that's often how God works. God, when we're faithful, often leaves us with more left over than what we started with. Um, it's not what the sermon's about, but I just want to share, like, there were a bunch of times, I'm, I'm an introvert, and there were a bunch of times when, like, small group or cohort or whatever the community was doing sounded like too much. I was tired, and I didn't want to go. Um, but I went anyway. And every time, every time, I had more energy than when I started at the end. And I'm an introvert. That's not how I work, right? But like, that's the thing about God is he can leave us with more left over than what we started with. Um, that's just a side note um, that I wanted to share. But um, anyway, let's see how the people respond when they see this amazing thing. So uh, we're starting up in uh, verse 14 here. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, so what is this? What does this mean, the prophet? What are they talking about here? Um, this is really interesting, actually. Uh, so let's look at um, it's Deuteronomy chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 15 to 19. And we'll see who is this prophet. Remember what I just said. 15. Cool. Ah. Okay, so uh, just to give the context here, we went through Exodus not too long ago, um, but what, what happened here is uh, Moses has called the Israelites out of Egypt, out of oppression. Um, he defeated the uh, world power at the time. You know, the Egyptians were the world power at the time, much like the Romans were during Jesus' time. Um, and Moses with 
his brother Aaron and his staff and God um, had defeated the Egyptian army and, and, and rescued Israel um, from Egypt. And then God had a plan for them. He wanted them to be set apart, right? Um, he wanted to tell them what his expectations were for his people that he had redeemed. So, so he meets with Moses up on the mountain. And um, when that happens, the people say, Moses, you go up there. We can't go up there. We can't be in the presence of God. You know, um, we're pretty sure we'd die. So here's a, here's a verse that's talking about that. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is um, Moses speaking. A prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord or see God or or see the great fire any longer so that we will not die. And the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Sorry, I put a sticky note in my own way. Um, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. So, this is really interesting, right? They figured it out. He's the prophet. And what's the prophet going to do? Well, the prophet is going to solve this problem for them, right? They can't be in the presence of God. The Israelites, they, they were right. They couldn't be in God's presence because they were sinful. And they, they had this problem where, like, they were not worthy of being in God's presence. Um, even Moses couldn't see God. He wanted to see God, and God said, all you can see is the very back of me. Uh, so hide behind this rock and squint. Um, and, you know, and, and so God is like, that's right, but I, I have a plan, and I'm going to send someone to fix this. You know, I'm going to take care of this sin, uh, and, and I have a way um, for you to be able to draw near to me and not die. So I think if the people, if they understood what the prophet, what the problem that the prophet was actually going to solve here, that he was going to be someone greater than Moses, that he was going to solve a problem that not even Moses could solve, then they would have been ready for what Jesus had to say next. But instead, they just wanted him to be just like Moses, you know, defeat Rome, you know, defeat the Romans, just like Jesus, uh, just like Moses defeated the Egyptians, just defeat the Romans for us. And, you know, we can see that right here, right? Because they want to take him and they want to lead a revolution and make him king. Um, but that's not what Jesus had in mind. So he goes up to the mountain, and I think that was disappointing to the crowd. And then um, I think Jesus kind of wants to let this not useful energy dissipate. So, you know, the next thing he does is he waits until evening, and he has his disciples go out on a boat, and they start going across the sea, and people are like, oh, okay, and Jesus isn't with them, and so... Um, we're not really sure where he is. He must be on the mountain still or something. Well, then, um, when it's dark and no one can see, Jesus walks down to the water, and he walks across the water. He catches up with the boat. Um, so he's, you know, maybe the boat was going slow, or he could walk really fast. But, you know, he walks three or four miles out to the boat and gets in. Oh, that's amazing. What a, another sign. Maybe this could make people believe. Right? Well, let's see what happens next. Um... Okay, so next, the crowd uh, follows him to the other side of the sea. Uh, they, 
they don't really know where he is. They're kind of just looking for him, but they're like, well, a boat is missing, and let's just go to the other side of the sea and see if he's there. Uh, and they find him. Um, and so, uh, looking at um, verse 25 here, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? You know, you'd think maybe Jesus would tell them, well, I can walk on water. Maybe that would get them to believe. Um, but Jesus already knows that that's not going to make them believe. These signs are not causing them to believe because they're not looking for the kind of Savior that Jesus is. They're looking for um, someone to do their plan, you know, their plan for what's next for Israel. Jesus said, Truly I, say, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, not because you believe, I think it's not because you believe who I am, um, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which is the Son of, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And so he's saying, um, you, need to, you need to believe in me, you need to have faith in me, you know, and he's, he doesn't even tell them that he walked on water because it doesn't matter, they'd seen enough signs, they could believe at this point, you know, but that's not what they're looking for. That's not what they're focused on. Uh, and in fact, the people still want to lead a revolution. We'll see in verse 28 here. They say, what can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. And I think they're still saying, like, Jesus, just tell us to do something. You know, well, we're 5,000 people. That's a lot of people. It's still a lot of people, right? And, like, could definitely take over a couple towns, like get something started, you know? Like, hey, we've got some momentum here. And Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one who is sent. So I think that was, you know, disappointing to the people, but Jesus was still doing a lot of cool stuff, right? Um, he gave them bread, and he healed a bunch of sick people, and, you know, it's a great source of entertainment. Um, so they say, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know, how about maybe some more bread? Uh, and Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. My Father gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's saying it's not about the bread, you know. You know, God didn't have to come down to earth to give people bread. He did it before from heaven. He didn't have to come down to hurt to heal people. He did that before through other prophets, right? Jesus wasn't here to just repeat things that God had already done without being here. He was here to do something entirely different. He wasn't just going to repeat history. He was going to change it. So, but the people, they don't really get it. I think he's still talking about something that they can have, you know. They say, give us this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread. It's not about the things I'm giving you. It's about me. You need to have faith in me. Um, so I think the crowd is pretty disappointed here because this isn't what they were looking for. And it, it actually it gets worse for them um, we're going to skip ahead a bit. There's a lot of really good stuff in this chapter. I feel bad about skipping it, but, you know, 
we can only have one sermon today. Um, so we'll go ahead and skip ahead to uh, verse 47. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. It wasn't good enough, right? This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At this point, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus gets even more clear. He says, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now this is interesting. Um, It goes on to say in, in verse 59 that he was saying this in a synagogue, and I think that's important because the people who were there knew the scripture. I think they would understand what he was referencing here. Uh, I think that's why it was so hard for them, actually. So if we look at Ezekiel 39:17, I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus often calls himself the Son of Man. That's uh, a title that he has for himself, and there's a whole lot. It's very theologically dense. You know, he's saying, I am fully man. That's very important to understand. He's both fully man and fully God. Um, and it's also a reference to Ezekiel. Um, God calls Ezekiel, Ezekiel's not the only person that God calls Son of Man, but he calls Ezekiel Son of Man a whole lot. Um, And if we look at verse, uh, chapter 39, verse 17, we'll see something that sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying here. It says, Son of Man, this is what the Lord God says. Tell every kind of bird and all the wild animals, assemble together, gather uh, gather from all around to my sacrificial feast. That I, slaughter, that I am slaughtering for you, a great feast on the mountains of Israel. You will eat flesh and drink blood. And that sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying here, except it's backwards, right? Like, the, the people that this was talking about, this prophecy, was some invaders, um, some invaders from, uh, from Gog, and um, God is pronouncing judgment on them, right? He's saying, you know, they're all going to be destroyed, and the, the birds and the animals will come and, and finish off uh, even their remains, right? So, you know, this crowd um, of people who were, seemed to be revolutionaries, but I think that's what a lot of people wanted from Jesus. Um, they wanted to hear him say this, but he wanted, they wanted him to say it about the Romans. He's saying it about himself. He says, I am going to be a sacrifice. I'm, I am here to be a gift to the world. And, and you know, he's saying, I'm going to die. Um, and I think that at that point, people realized that he had no intention now or, or ever of leading the revolution that they're looking for. Um, but he was also promising to do something much more. What's easier, being a king or, or dying on a cross? God didn't fulfill their expectations because he had a better plan for them and for the world. Um, and some people were willing to accept this, but uh, others were not willing to change their expectations. Um, 
So many left. Uh, if we look at um, verse 60, uh, starting in verse 60, Therefore, many of his disciples heard this. They said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Or I like some other translations that say, Who can listen to this? Who can hear this? Now, this is really hard. Who could listen to this? Um, and Jesus, knowing in himself that they were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Well, what, then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Um, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm not staying here. You know, if, if you're just here um, because of the things I'm giving you to see the healings and to have the food, ultimately you're going to be disappointed because I'm going back to heaven. I'm not going to stay here. You know, you need to believe so that when I go to heaven, I can send my spirit to be inside of you and we can continue to be together and you can ex- continue to experience life. And that's the life I want for you, not just to entertain you, but um, to give you eternal life. Um, how did they respond? Well, in verse 66, uh, we see, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him or would no longer walk with him, is what some other translations say. Um, they, they weren't there to be with Jesus because Jesus was still there, you know. But, but they had some expectations of Jesus and when they realized they weren't going to get what they wanted, they, they, they left. Have you ever had someone you thought was your friend, but they really just liked your stuff? That's kind of what's happening here. Or maybe worse, maybe you've been that person. Growing up, I was that person. I loved video games. Uh, and I, I didn't have many myself, so I would go over to anyone's house if they had some video games I could play. I think around the fourth grade, I, I had a friend. Um, he had a copy of Super Smash Brothers Melee. I loved that game so much. That's the best game. Later on, I would go on to save money for two years so I could buy a GameCube and play that game. Um, excellent game. I still like it. Uh, I would go over to his house all the time to play that game, but I wasn't excited to see him. I was excited to use his stuff. Uh, I spent at least 100 hours with this kid, and I don't even remember his name. I'm not sure we ever really talked. I missed out on the opportunity to get to know him. Let's make sure that we don't approach our relationship with God this way. There are lots of great reasons to be around God, reasons to go to church. There's good music, kind and encouraging people, an opportunity to engage in interesting conversations and activities. Uh, For parents, there's coffee and free childcare. Uh, It's great. God has a lot of cool stuff at his house, and he wants us to experience life and fellowship and all the good things he has to offer. But don't miss out on the opportunity to get to know God. Those other things come and go. You know, they might not always be something that you can enjoy. When I was in Floresville, I didn't have any of those things. I really wanted them. But God never changes. And he was, he was with me, you know. And it turned out that my faith in him was worth more than all those other things. Um, don't miss out on the opportunity to get to know God himself. Well, these other people fell away, but the 12 remained. If we look in verse um, 67 here, uh, 
Let's see. Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. They believed. The disciples had spent the time with Jesus. They knew his words had life. I don't think they actually understood what he was saying here. This was a hard teaching, and um, I think it had to be revealed to them slowly. God often reveals his plans to us slowly. You know, I think it took the rest of his ministry for them to learn that um, the oppression that he was going to save them from, the worst oppression that we all experience is the oppression of sin, uh, and that his body really would be broken and his blood really would be spilled for the forgiveness of sins when he was sa- gave himself up as a sacrifice on the cross, and that God really would raise him up again back to life on the third day, and he really would ascend up to heaven, just like he said here, um, to be back up in heaven with God. And, uh, but they knew enough to stay. They knew enough to trust Jesus, even when things were hard. God doesn't want to just give us good things. He wants to give us himself. Jesus wasn't going to settle for the plans of the crowd. God's plan was to solve a much bigger problem. The problem that we couldn't approach him, we couldn't be with him because of our sin. God said, I'll send a prophet. Listen to his words and believe him. I'll solve this problem for you. You can come to me. You can be in my presence. You can pray directly to me. In fact, we can be so close that I can send my spirit to be inside of you all the time. And you'll never have to be hungry for that. And you'll never have to thirst for that. And ultimately, you'll get to come to heaven and experience all of my good things. Every good thing that I have. And the best thing is, you get to be in my presence, and, and that won't ever have to end. My oldest daughter, Jennifer, is almost three. She asks for a lot of things, and when she asks for them, she usually says she needs them, right? Uh, this three-year-old can't really explain the concept of the difference between want and need, um, although I think we all often have a problem with uh, distinguishing those things. But Sometimes she says something uh, that really melts my heart. It's really special, I think. Um, She'll say, Papa, I need you. And I'll say, what do you need, Jennifer? You know, what do you want? She'll say, I just need just you. God wants us to say that to him. During Christmas time, we celebrate that God wanted to be closer to us, that he came to earth and lived the perfect life and died in our place to solve the problem of sin so that we could draw near to him. Let's celebrate that this year by coming into God's presence, by spending time with him and telling him, I just need just you. I need you more than a good job, more than a spouse, more than children or friends. Don't keep God at arm's length. If you're mourning disappointment in your life, that's okay. Ask God to be your comforter. If life seems too hard or out of control, ask him for help. I'm really glad that I did. If you feel too busy right now to spend time with God, say no to something good, to to spend time with someone greater. And if you haven't allowed God to solve the problem of sin in your life by accepting the gift that he gave you on the cross, if you still feel like, I'm unworthy to be in God's presence, I'm sinful and 
I can't pray to him. I can't be with him. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until you've made yourself better or until you fully understand everything. The disciples are our example of what faith looks like. It's choosing to want to follow Jesus more than anything else. And if this is something you want to do, you don't have to wait. In this passage, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not turn away. You can come to him with a simple prayer like, God, I don't want to be separated from you anymore. Please forgive me for all the ways I've sinned against you. I give the rest of my life to following you no matter what. Please help me do that. And that's something you can, you can say on your own where you're at right now or if you want help to talk about that or pray that prayer, come find me or, or one of the pastors here. Um, I'd, I'd be happy to have coffee with anyone and talk about this more. You know, this is the greatest gift you could ever receive. And just don't wait to receive it because it's, it's just, you won't be disappointed. Oh. So that's all I have today. Let's pray.